you've come to the right place if you're looking to create, launch, and scale a high-value online training program. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of Lifter LMS, the most powerful learning management system for WordPress. Stay to the end. I've got something special for you. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. I'm joined by a special guest. His name is Dr. Jared Sinclair. You can find him at sinclairperformance.com. We're going to be talking about leadership. We're going to be talking about capacity building. We're going to talk about motivation. This is going to be a good episode around the inner game of being an education entrepreneur, about leading a team, about leading your students as a teacher. Welcome to the show, Jared. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you to have me on. Yeah, I'm stoked to talk about it with you. Leadership and management and peak performance are all things that are near and dear to me as a busy guy who's been doing this for a while, trying not to explode in the pot process sure. and be a good leader. Let's start at the heart of the issue and take us to school around motivation, particularly around three areas. One area is just being a motivated entrepreneur ourselves, like self-motivation. Um, second, if we're building a team, sometimes I see a lot of entrepreneurs, whether they're creating courses or running an agency where they're motivated, but they're having a hard time getting the same levels of performance in their team, or they just wish it was higher, not that it's bad. And then the third is specifically as a teacher or a coach, when we've been hired to work with students or clients, how do we create motivation within our learning experience design? So sorry to throw three questions at you at once, but let's, let's talk about motivation. Yeah, all good. So to dive into, to the self, I think, you know, there's this discussion that's everywhere. You've seen it on Rogan. You've seen it on some of these other podcasts. You've seen it in the literature, the pseudoscience, whatever you might have. And it, it is the, this argument of, okay, discipline versus motivation. I would argue that discipline is simply a system that we use to motivate ourselves. So it's a, it's an extrinsic motivator that we're using to motivate ourselves when we don't necessarily feel motivated. So when you talk about motivating the self, I think it's very important to have that why. Uh, why are you doing what you're doing, right? That's kind of the first stop. The second stop that I would say is to have this structure of uh, maybe you have your office set up in such a way, or you have your coffee first thing, and then you take the dog out and then you come back to your desk and you hit that big first, you know, chunk that you need to bite off. Maybe some type of system in place where you're doing the same thing, the same way every time. And that's for those, those more important topics that you're doing throughout the day. Now, let's say you got to get a module done or you have to outline something uh, for a course you're putting together. That big chunk might be that first outline that you do in the morning, because based off of that outline, you know, you're going to be able to build out everything else. So if you get that win, it's kind of like some of these guys are talking about make your bed, right? It's making your bed. So you get that early success. So you can move on to the next ones. Um, and then I would say the third thing is having a system in place for when you don't feel motivated. So you have that discipline to do things. Uh, some folks do it with time blocking. They might block, you know, 15 minutes and then take a five minute break, walk around the house. If you work from home or walk down the hallway to the water cooler, or to the, the copy machine, or, you know, to your buddy next door and say, hi, 
but building in those, those blocks of times could be helpful. Some other things that, that folks do is they, they'll tier their day where they'll have those most, you know, top three things that they want to accomplish throughout the day. And then everything else is just noise, right? So tackling those first three things in order to free up that space and create some margin where you have more time and energy to tackle these other things. So I think a lot of the times we get burnt out uh, as individuals because either we've taken on too much, we haven't taken the time to outline our day or provide that clarity or that path forward. And then when we have these additional things uh, bombarding us throughout the day, we don't have that margin that we need. And that margin is very important. Uh, provides psychological safety, provides a space for you to be creative and, and space for you to deal with those things that come up during the day that we might not necessarily have planned for. So that margin component's very big. Um, as far as leading the team, I think when you break down motivation from a team perspective, you got to look at the value. Uh, it's a value proposition. What what's the value to the team as a whole? You know, is there a, a completion bonus or is there some type of pay raise or just the, the, the pride of accomplishing that task? Um, if you can tie that action to something of value, now they, they can see that their work is being, uh, it's contributing towards something that's going to be valuable in the future. Uh, there, there's various types of values. I don't want to I don't want to go into too much detail and nerd out too much on there, but there's a lot of value from physical value, kind of these internal uh, value propositions that we have. And then there's like instrumental value, acquiring things that will allow you to do other things. I would say the next component from a team perspective is expectations. So managing those expectations. And within that, you have this whole kind of control versus uh, non-control component. So as, as leaders, we want to hire the right people to do the work. And then we want to really set them free so they can go do the work. When we hire people that are capable of doing work and then we don't set them free, they're in an uncontrollable environment because they can't control their destiny. They don't have agency over what they're trying to do. So from that perspective, it's too constricting. And you know, with, with constriction and regulation and whatnot, especially in the educational space, when you're trying to write course content, you're trying to be creative or make these connections in various uh, locations throughout your curriculum, it's important to have that agility and that creativity. But with those constraints as leaders or in a team environment, oftentimes it will stifle that creativity, and uh, which will stifle growth and stifle productivity. So the last one I think you touched on there was uh, a teacher or a coach. Yeah. Is that it? Okay. I had to write it down because there was a lot there, but let, let's get to it. So maybe are, are students or learners or client coaching clients different from team members, or is it really just the same stuff packaged a little differently? I think from like coaching clients, you know, they're on the receiving end or the students are on the receiving end of that learning. Mm -hmm. I think for them, it's the meaning, the meaning making that will help them stay motivated, right? Because you have this kind of this external force, which is your delivery, your content, your whatever, your questioning, your Socratic questioning, whatever the case may be. And they have this internalization of that. And when they're able to make those connections and they're able to have those aha moments and they're able to synthesize information on their own, even though it was prompted by you, it's more valuable because they came up with that aha and they made the connection where in reality they didn't, they were kind of helped along the way, um, or it's a combination of both. But I think that's where it's helpful to motivate them is giving them opportunities to make those connections, make meaning and have those aha moments. 
That's awesome. That's super helpful. Um, so with the discipline thing, like I, I just, whenever I hear that word, of course, now I think of Jocko Willing, discipline right. equals freedom. Sure. And I'm a big morning routine guy and time boxer. And when I feel, I don't feel at my best, I just execute the routine, right? Mm -hmm. Even if I do it poorly, I, I just do it. And I've been doing a morning routine so long, it's been over a decade that I feel worse and lost when I don't do it. Like if I'm traveling or something like that. Yeah. But unpack, unpack discipline a little more and how it's different from motivation or is it, like it's, it sounds like it's a tool within motivation. A hundred percent. And what I'd point to in that is self-determination theory. If you're into self-determination, there's a lot of charter schools popping up right now. They're in the self-determination, you kind of self-guided learning. When you look at that theory, it talks about somebody who's emotive on one end of the spectrum. I think my camera's reversed, but on one end of the spectrum here where they, they have no motivation, there is no motivation. And then when you kind of overlay this extrinsic motivators, you know, the accountability systems, and I would argue these discipline systems, mm -hmm. and people are able to be prodded and prompted towards a certain behavior, right? So you have a boss, you have your, your, your significant other saying, hey, you told me you were going to do this today. That's an extrinsic motivator. You have that LMS uh, little notification thing pop up saying, hey, your course is due, right? That's a motivator. Where in the theory, people can go across this spectrum from there's this position of e-motivation and now this external kind of accountability system where they're, and I would argue discipline, though those things that you have to do as your morning routine fall into this category. Over time, when you do them long enough, they become automated. So you go down this path of it being external to this path of now you're internalizing it to now it's automated in an automated state. So you go from emotive to automated, potentially, depending on those discipline systems or those systems that you have in place or those accountabilities that you have in place, it's a big ugly word, but accountabilities that you have in place to do the things that you, your team or whoever else wants to do. Awesome. Let's, let's switch gears to one of my favorite words, which is capacity. And the reason, and I know you help with capacity building and I want to unpack that. Sure. I don't have a laser question, so I have to talk around it a little bit. Like as a software entrepreneur, I always wish I had more, you know, engineering capacity as an example to ship the vision of the product faster yeah. or, um, you know, I, sometimes I wish my team had more capacity given the constraints of time. Now, cash flow can solve wounds and allow you more budget to grow a team. But when you're bootstrapping as a course creator or, or any kind of entrepreneur, um, you're working with limited resources and it all starts with your own internal sacrifice and capacity. Sure. But tell us about a different way to think about capacity, both in output and quality of work. Like how do we level up there as individuals and through teams? Yeah, so I would say capacity is what you have in that space between capability and current performance, right? So you've pushed your circle out, if you will, you have two concentric circles, you have this, this capacity is the exterior circle, right? And the interior circle is kind of what you're, what you're currently operating at. And that margin around the edge is very important because that is room for growth, right? Okay. So if you're not hitting that outer circle, if you will, I mean, just for that visual, right? What we try to do is we try to enhance that capacity. 
And I use a framework uh, called Smack. Um, it's one of the things that I've written on. It's kind of the talk that I go to because it encompasses a lot of what organizations and individuals are challenged with. And it's just S-M-A-C-K. The S is for systems. The M is for motivation. The A is for accountability. The C is for communications. And the K is for knowledge. So within this kind of capacity uh, discussions, if you touch on all of those letters within SPAC, you're going to hit on those big topics that help individuals and teams to perform at a higher level to expand their capacity. Let's take knowledge, for instance. You have, you know, and you're in the knowledge space, so you have this, this component of what's the existing knowledge? Well, you want to expand that knowledge. Well, how do you expand that knowledge? The first question that I would ask as a consultant or somebody that comes in to coach a team or to build a system around this problem is what type of knowledge are you trying to expand? Are you trying to expand, you know, procedural knowledge, the know-how? Are you trying to expand declarative knowledge, the know-what? Or are you trying to expand uh, that reflection knowledge, that metacognitive knowledge? Uh, what type of knowledge within your organization are you trying to expand? And then within that, we either provide learning opportunities to expand that knowledge, or we, we create kind of a churn within the organization, this kind of uh, organic churn, where people are going out to find that, addi that additional knowledge because now they've identified what that barrier is. So with, with all those letters in the acronym of SMAC, what I like to do is look at each one of those and kind of dissect it and see, hey, where can we improve this with minimal inputs to kind of push that inner circle out a little more, that outer circle out a little more if we're kind of meeting it already. That's awesome. Let's dig in on accountability a little bit. Yeah. How do you build healthy accountability that, you know, people look forward to or enjoy as an example? And I think an extreme example, I don't do this, but I know online businesses that uh, they don't trust their employees to spend their time well. So they install like a screen recording software on, that takes screenshots every whatever. Yeah. To me, that just feels like very, creates a culture of distrust. What's on the other end of that spectrum in terms of positive accountability? Yeah, I think it, I think it involves interaction on all, on all parts, right? Communication. There needs to be a component that the individual, let me just back up for a second. In, in any accountability relationship, there's a provider and a director. The director is the person that's kind of in charge and kind of calling the shot saying, hey, this is what we need to get done. This is the direction we want to go. And then the provider is the person that's responsible for, for doing that. We can go, I mean, this is a whole separate episode in and of itself, but let's dive down that rabbit hole, um, the, the screen, the screenshots and how do we get people, um, how do we hold people accountable absent those kind of extreme measures? And I would say it, it takes uh, co communication and collaboration. Um, there needs to be a sense of buy-in, right? Remember we talked about in motivation earlier, we talked about that value and that, that value attainment, right? Uh, attaining that goal. Well, oftentimes when things are closer to the self, they're closer to us, they're more important. And oftentimes we will leverage more energy towards accomplishing that. So if we have this external thing that the organization said, hey, this thing over here, go do that. Um, and we're going to hold you accountable to it. That's probably a little less powerful than, than saying, hey, this is kind of the direction that we want to go. What do you propose we do to get there? And how are you going to hold yourself accountable to those metrics, right? What are those metrics? Um, and that's another component that's pretty important is metrics. I've seen, I've seen organizations go super overboard on metrics. 
um, not only in the learning space, but, um, you know, depending heavily, so heavily on KPIs that they kind of forget there's people behind them and systems behind them. Um, yeah. So I think that engagement and getting, giving people a voice and giving them buy-in and allowing them to kind of dictate where they want to go within, you know, that if you use the analogy of a bowling lane, you got those bumper lanes on the sides, like that whole runway is yours. We just got to go knock down those 10 pins. So within these left and right kind of bumpers, how do you propose we do that? And then how are we going to know that you're making progress on your plan, right? There's a lot of use in there towards that goal. So giving ownership to the people, I think is very important. I love that. Also in your, your smack analogy and capacity, talking about the margin, mm -hmm. um, where does burnout fit into that? And then also, it, you know, that model really makes sense. If you, let's say you have a junior team member and over the years they level up mm -hmm. and let's say you hire a senior person or even you yourself as like the, um, the entrepreneur or whatever, like you're kind of hitting some capacity walls that are starting to feel so, kind of solid and, and like, you just can't time box anymore. And there's only 24 more hours in the day. Right. But there's also this personal development thing of like, there's always another gear. I just need to find the next unlock. Yeah. So, so there's kind of two questions in there, burnout. And then what do you do with like people that are already kind of peak performing, uh, yeah. from a capacity standpoint? Sure. So I'll address the, the burnout issue first. Um, typically burnout is due to lack of margin, right? You have lack of money, lack of time, lack of resources, lack of energy, whatever the case may be. You've pushed that inner circle too close to that outer circle and you don't have enough margin for when that phone call comes in or that block puts the additional pro uh, project on your desk or the dog gets sick or, you know, your kids are out of school, sick, whatever the case may be, margin typically will, will lead to burnout. Now, when I talk about margin, you could talk about it in the cognitive sense too, right? You want sufficient level of stress on somebody's abilities and sufficient level of challenge, um, you know, but when that stress level gets too high or that challenge level gets too high, oftentimes that can lead to that cognitive overload as well, right? So this whole concept of margin, I think applies to just about everything. Um, just having sufficient doctor on that inner line, but that outer line really is that capacity. So either by reducing, increasing the buffer or increasing the capacity, you've got more margin and that inner circle can have a little more flex as far as performance is concerned. So burnout's, burnout's pretty dangerous. I've seen a lot of folks go downhill. Um, when I talk about it in the leadership space, I talk about it from a sense of like leadership fatigue. So if you're a leader running a team of, let's say, folks who are responsible for, uh, you know, X, Y, or Z, when leaders get burnt out, they end up start doing a couple things. They start either doing their people's work for them. They start micromanaging. They stop that visionary kind of um, supervisory kind of roles, and they start doing the work. And with that, their, their own capacity and their own margin starts decreasing. The capacity might be there, but their margin starts decreasing. And sometimes that comes with resentment. It comes with substance abuse issues. It comes with stress issues, like the whole nine. So I think managing that burnout component is very important. Not, not pushing yourself to the point where you don't have enough margin, but also not pushing your people to the point where they don't have margin or expanding their capacity so that that additional workload or that additional task or that additional ask isn't so burdensome on them. Um, 
I'm sorry. I'm blanking on your second question there, Chris. My second question is like, is there a limit to capacity expansion for a human being, particularly as it relates to either a seasoned entrepreneur who feels like they've really leveled up and there's just, but they're not really expanding capacity anymore. They've kind of hit peak capacity. Is that just okay? Or is there always another unlock or how do we think about that for peak performers? Yeah. So in the, in the business landscape, I would look at that very, you know, the thing that resonated with me when you, when you were asking that question was like a tech startup. A lot of times, even a normal startup, it doesn't have to be a tech startup, but they're, you know, they're, uh, they're known for this. Typically what'll happen is you'll get those one or two or three folks that have gotten together and said, Hey, let's start this. Right. And they start this and none of them are specialized. Well, sometimes they are, but that can be a burden to a startup team. Oftentimes with a startup, you want a bunch of generalists because somebody's going to have to be doing, everybody's doing marketing, right? Yeah. Somebody's going to have to do finance. Somebody's going to have to do R&D. Somebody's going to have to do compliance. Like there's, there's all these hats that people wear during a startup. So their capacity very quickly becomes maxed out, right? So what I would argue, and, and it's hard to say without a specific business or specific case study though, is that when you get to that point where capacity is tapped out, you have to do one of two things. You either have to slow down and limit the offerings that you're providing, or if that's not in alignment with where the business wants to go, now it's time to scale. It's time to expand your, your offering. So oftentimes what we see in the startup space is that these, these teams of startup founders typically get something going and they get to this point where they're super uncomfortable and they're super stressed out. And maybe they're in the third, fourth, fifth round of funding, whatever the case may be. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, now we have to start hiring people. And what that does is then from there, it expands their capacity, right? So their capability is still pretty small, but it gives them that margin to continue to grow outwards. Um, I do think there is a limit on the individual um, capacity building as well as organizational capacity building. But the, the beauty of organizational capacity building is that you don't have to do it all yourself. You, I uh, forget that quote by Steve Jobs. I think it was Steve Jobs, but he nailed it. Like we don't hire smart people so we can tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can, you know, do what they do essentially. Um, I truly believe in that. And if, if you're going to grow and you're going to take your business to that next level, you're going to have to hire people and you're going to have to offload that trust to them and trust them that they're going to do the things that, you know, you've hired them to do. Again, we get back to that accountability piece, right? So. Uh, I would say, yeah, that's it. You could, you could scale for sure. You could in increase your capacity on an organizational level, I think easier um, than once you're tapped out at the individual level, but through professional development, through introspection, through, um, you know, focus, I think us as individuals can expand capacity to a certain extent. I don't think the world is endless. You know, we can't do all those things that our parents said we could do if we put our minds to it. It's just not possible. It's a big lie. Um, <laughs> we can do a lot. Uh, but not independent and individual, separate from a team. What's, can you double, double click a little bit on that thing about entrepreneur, founder, generalists, and yeah. like kind of what makes them special or, or in some ways they might not even see their, see it or recognize it in themselves in terms of, um that kind of gift they have as a generalist, but it's also very dangerous and burdensome. Like you mentioned, if you go yeah. far and, and start stepping outside of that margin. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's necessary, frankly, uh, as a founder to be a generalist, I think you need to be good at a lot of things. 
Um, and the analogy that I'll use is, let's say we have a pie shop. You know, if we have an apple pie shop um, and we're make, or let's say we have a bakery. Sorry, that was a bad analogy. Say we have a bakery and all we make is apple pies. We're not a bakery. We're an apple pie shop. So if you have that CEO or that founder CEO that they're very good at tech, what's going to happen to the marketing and the fundraising and the HR and all these other things that need to happen as that business is growing? It's going to fall to the wayside. So what we need is a bakery. We need a bakery that has some brownies, some you know, lemon meringue, key lime, some apple pies, right? We need this whole kind of well-rounded ecosystem where people that have their own respective strengths can play into what the organization is trying to do and where they're trying to go. So although at the outset, being a generalist is very important, oftentimes these startup companies will find themselves in a place where now they have to start finding those people that are more uh, narrowly skilled and they're, they have a greater expert expertise in those narrow spaces. Now I'm not saying as a business gets super big that there's no need for generalists because there certainly is, uh, the world would not function if everybody was a specialist. It just, it wouldn't. Um, but as they get bigger, they can have more specialists in the sense of R and D research, uh, uh, HR finance, you know, you name it. Tell us about the Sinclair Performance Institute. Like, what what do you do? Describe your perfect client. Yeah, so our perfect client is an entity within a larger larger organization. I'd say you know a, a division, maybe a hundred people or less, maybe up to two hundred, depending on what they're trying to accomplish, or a small business that is uh, in those in that startup phase, or they're. They just have these very specific training or capacity problems. Uh, that's where we come and help them. So we're, we're a capacity building company. Uh, we have an advisory firm. We have several folks that we call on with very specific skill sets that we can bring to bear or whatever those, whatever those problems are. So we focus predominantly on, on change management, leadership development, um, gap analysis, and then closing those gaps, doing strategic planning, writing business plans for small businesses. Um, and then we have a very small niche of executive coaching where, you know, if somebody wants to, to continue on with this leadership development, um, or maybe it's an executive that is in that startup phase, you know, have, they have that person to go to that they can talk to and be like, Hey, let me run this problem by you. Um, I'm trying to expand my capacity. What pointers do you have? So that's what we do. Uh, we started in 2017 and, uh, really cut our teeth working with nonprofits. I was in the government space for a long time, um, did some time in the Marine Corps and then some time in the local government space, went back to grad school. And, um, I just have a heart for nonprofits. Uh, and then I knew there was an educational gap there too, that knowledge gap, that key, right. In my own self where I hadn't worked per se with businesses. So I started offering pro bono consulting for nonprofit organizations and my framework really started resonating with them. We saw some good results. So from there, we started kind of expanding out. And, um, that's where we're at now on the horizon. We're, we're looking at those bigger county, um, state and federal contracts. So we're, we're really submitting a lot of proposals in that space and, uh, trying to scale up, if you will, build our capacity, uh, in that realm. So can you, uh, share like a fun story? I mean, of course you don't have to share names and company names or anything, but yeah, an, an example story from some of the work you've done. Absolutely. 
Um, I think one of my one of my proudest stories was a nonprofit that we were working with, and uh, we were going through some strategic planning. They were in the homelessness uh, or poverty alleviation space, and they they weren't quite organized. They were using borrowed space from from schools and churches and whatnot, and um, we were able to go in, identify some gaps, write a strategic plan, kind of get things dialed in, write an operational plan for them. And this is obviously with ad hoc teams from that organization. And, um, you know, there's a little, not disbelief, but I guess doubt that these things would pan out and these things would work. Well, what happened, I got a phone call earlier this year and because of the structures and because of the organization that they put in place, they had a, a donor that came in and bought them their own building. So now they're in their own building. They're not having to borrow space. They're doing laundry service, shower service, employment services, computer labs, like all these things from their own space. So I would say that one for me is the most impactful because there was a little bit of doubt, but it shows that when you have the right people and the right systems and you have things in place, people will recognize it and things will happen that you can't even foresee. So that one, that one's really fun for me and the team. Awesome. Yeah. Well, last question for you, Jared. Um, there's a, this I guess would fall under the executive coaching realm. Uh, I see a lot of, or it's a common problem in our space for course creators, coaches, even the people building agencies out there where they struggle with imposter syndrome. Mm. It manifests itself in the LMS space where People buy software, they spend years like building something, but they never actually launch. And under a lot of that is imposter syndrome is buried in that. Yeah. Do you have anything to help people that have admitted that, hey, maybe I might be struggling with that? And yeah. like, who am I to teach X? Or sure. I'm going to be judged as soon as I go live with this thing. Yeah. yeah. I think we've, we've all been there. And what a blessing if you go live with it and it fails. Yeah. Right? Because what lessons, yeah, what lessons are within that? It gives you an opportunity to pivot something that hurts and it's sticky. So you won't do it again. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I think, I think one of the things that I've done uh, with myself and then with some coaching clients is what I'll do is I'll, I'll have them sit down and write down those things that they're good at. Right. So this week, I want you to make, just make a list in your phone, wherever you want to do it, of all of those things that you're good at. All those things that you've done in your life, maybe those awards that you've received, you know, playing soccer back when you were eight years old, it doesn't matter. Like list everything. And then come back a couple of days later, refine that list. Come back a couple of days later, refine that list. But what I want you to do this time is I want you to omit those things that you didn't enjoy. Right? So only circle those things that you enjoy. And then as this list kind of, it's, it starts out really big and people are like, what do I do? Can I put it on there? No, I can't put it. Just put everything on there. And then you go through it and you circle those things that you enjoy. And then you revisit it some, sometime later. And what you'll see is you're going to see these trends of things that not only were you good at, but the things that you enjoyed. And then from there, it kind of, you can circle those things like, okay, what direction can I go with what I have with where I'm at? And the next step is just to go, go do it. Whatever that is, if it's creating an LMS or that first course, uh, whether it's on LinkedIn or Wix site or wherever on your platform, Wherever it is, just go do it. Um, because the only way you're going to get better is to do it. The last thing that you want to do, or that at least I want to do, is to be super great, more great than I am, looking back at my life and think, man, 
if I only took that step and did that, where would I be today? Right? So just take that step, um, list all those things out, identify your strengths, identify what you like, and then identify those things that you could do now and hopefully monetize. And then um, take that next step. And when you're in doubt, just take the next logical step. You don't need to take a giant step. Uh, just put one brick in the wall every day or every opportunity you have. And eventually you'll have a giant building. So awesome. That's Dr. Jared Sinclair. He's at sinclairperformance.com. Any other ways for the people to connect with you, Jared? Yeah, I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. If you look me up, it's just Jared Sinclair. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel, uh, um, Performance Collective is what it's called. I, I run a podcast as well, just looking at leaders in various spaces. I think this last week I did a, a mom, you know, she's a business uh, owner and a mom. Um, and then I've got another one coming up uh, for a gentleman in the tech space. So I just like talking about leadership, but you can connect with us there uh, on YouTube, LinkedIn, or if you want to reach out directly to me, it's Jared, J-A-R-E-D at SinclairPerformance.com. I'd love to connect with you. Awesome, Jared. Well, thanks for coming on the show, dropping the, the wisdom there. And I'd really encourage you out there listening or watching to go revisit the smack part of the episode. I think that's a really powerful framework. Could you just, as we close it out here, say out what the letters mean again? Yeah, it's S-M-A-C-K. So it's systems, motivation, accountability, communications, and knowledge. If you go to our blog at sinclairperformance.com, there's a short blog post that kind of uh, dives a little bit into the SMAC framework. Thanks so much, Jared. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Chris, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. Did you enjoy that episode? Tell your friends and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And I've got a gift for you over at lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Go to lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Keep learning, keep taking action, and I'll see you in the next episode.